From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Barry Eisler. Barry is the best-selling author of the John Rain series, and his new book is a standalone novel called The God's Eye View. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jeff. Absolutely. I do not know what I was expecting when I started the book, but I wasn't expecting it to be this unsettling. Thanks for saying that. Some of the best reactions I've gotten about the book are along the lines of, wow, it's really entertaining, good thriller. And then I got to the bibliography at the end and realized, oh my God, all this stuff is real. <laughs> yeah, I'm only using burner phones from now on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just... Um, I immediately thought also that like this has to exist. Like that's not even in question, right? Everything I've written about the book, all the technologies are, they exist, they're deployed. And uh, that should be unsettling to anyone who cares about uh, any sort of democratic society in America. It's not a healthy situation for the citizenry to know less and less about the government and to have the government know more and more about the citizenry. Right. And so for everyone at home, uh, the God's eye is just a total and complete surveillance of what we're doing. Just to uh, not give away too much, but just for context sure. of what we're talking about. Um, I feel like the real fear in that too, for me at least, is less about being watched and more about like what they're going to do with that information, like yeah. political blackmail, right. which happened a bit in the book. Of course. Uh, and as for all these things... People say, come on, would the government really do that, Barry? That's, you know, that's tinfoil-hatted conspiracy stuff. But in fact, um, if anyone is curious and if you don't already know about it, check out COINTELPRO. Go Google it. C-O-I-N-T-E-L-P-R-O. Uh, counterintelligence program is what it stands for. And this was a program of domestic uh, surveillance and uh, espionage and sabotage run by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI from roughly the mid-50s to the mid-70s when the Church and Pike Commission shut it down. Uh, mostly it was focused on, it was aimed at dissident groups, including the civil rights, various civil rights groups, Martin Luther King, uh, student groups, anti-war groups. This is what this sort of all-seeing surveillance program gets turned against in uh, in a democracy. Yeah. If there are no checks and balances. And, and is that the main point too? just like accountability for the government? Because this is like power? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, look, what always happens when there's no accountability? The more, when you have more and more power and less and less accountability, mm -hmm. the basest elements of human nature take over. It's just, it's almost a law of physics. Yeah. So uh, Madison said, if we, if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. And that's absolutely right. So you can't give people unlimited power and no accountability. If you do, then you will guarantee abuses. Guaranteed. Yeah, and, and and did it start with Hoover that the NSA started getting this much power? It wasn't called that then, right? Uh, there was no NSA when uh, when Hoover got started. I mean, Hoover goes all the way back to something like the nineteen twenties, um, and even the FBI had a different name to start with. But um, no, mostly it was uh, it started with the notion of domestic um, communist groups. That was the big boogeyman of the day that justified uh, that justified sabotage and surveillance against. As I say, anti-war groups, civil rights movement. What's interesting about entrenched 
uh, establishment power is that their biggest concerns are never, in fact, uh, foreign enemies. They're always more concerned about domestic dissent. Because if you think about it, a group like ISIS offers tremendous upside to American elites. I know these things sound so treacherous to say, but it's just true. There's a lot of power and profit in war. So a group like ISIS is um, is by no means a bad thing if you're, say, the American government or any corporation that profits from war and intelligence, security, border, the border controls, these sorts of things. But a domestic dissent, that offers no upside to uh, to the government, not at all. So that's where the the most focus is. The real enemy is always domestic dissent. And and I get that for the government, it would be a beneficial like uh, more foreign, uh, not domestic dissent. But how does that benefit the NSA? Because it's not about money for them. It's not about like opportunity. Actually, it is. Or it is their budget. So, but with increased budget, they increase their just like their eyes and their power. Just yeah. and they just get more this power. Is, this is Pornell's law that an organization starts off focused on some other thing. But over time, the organization becomes dedicated simply to the maintenance of the organization. Yeah. So if you are the NSA, do you want to be disbanded? Do you want to, do you want to say, you know what? It's pretty much under control now. We don't really need an NSA anymore. You don't want to do that. In fact, there was uh, an FBI spokesman who said, like, we have to keep fear up, to keep fear alive to, um, to get things done. And uh, even... Uh, all the way back in the Truman administration, um, was it uh, Secretary of Defense Forrestal said, you're going to have to scare hell out of the American people, Mr. President, if you want to sell the Berlin airlift and all that kind of thing. So fear makes people uh, think less and gives the government a lot more power. So if you are an organization that already has tremendous power, a huge budget, a lot of prestige, a lot of importance and status in the society... You want more of that. It's just human. Yeah. And I mean, and that fear loses its luster. I feel like also like, like whistleblowers like Edward Snowden, he's still out there, but there's like a new shiny thing that kind of like replaces him in the media. Is he still an ongoing, like quote unquote, like threat to the government? Well, in, in one sense, yes. In another sense, no. In the sense that he's not a threat. He has already delivered all his documents to various journalists and news organizations. Oh, we know that. Right? Yeah. I oh. mean, according to Snowden, and I have no reason to think he's not telling the truth because it would have been a little crazy for him mm-hmm. to have taken this stuff and not turned it over to third parties. It would just put him at even more risk than he's already at. Right. And according to, so according to what he said, no, he, um, he has turned over his entire cash to originally it was Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras. Um, they wrote up those stories in The Guardian and Bart Gelman with The Washington Post. He says, I don't have anything anymore. I have no reason to believe that's not true. So in that sense, the government doesn't have to worry about Snowden anymore. But what the government does have to worry about is making an example of him. And if you look at the way uh, the government, particularly in this case the Obama administration, has treated every whistleblower, treats everyone as uh, a threat, not just because of what has already been revealed, that cat is out of the bag, so to speak, but as uh, an opportunity to disincentivize any future whistleblowers. And that's why the Obama administration has prosecuted more whistleblowers under the 1917 Espionage Act than all previous American administrations combined. Can can that not also be, though, because we've never had this 
capability. Yes, that's absolutely right. Okay. So I don't mean to be too hard on Obama, even though I'm not a fan. Sure. Um, it's not that he has a worse heart, say, than Bush or any of his yeah. predecessors. And maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But what he does have is a lot more technology. So, for example, um, Obama has killed far more civilians in drone strikes than any of his predecessors. Yeah. But is that because he's a particularly bad guy? Maybe. But it's more likely that it's because uh, weaponized drones were just coming online during the Bush administration. We've got a whole fleet now. So Obama just has more capability, more capability in the case of whistleblowers to use some of the technologies I depict in the God's Eye View to um, to track down uh, journalist sources, whistleblowers in this case, and uh, and then prosecute them. Yeah. Two questions with that. A lot of the people who are dealt with in the book end up being killed. At what point does that... That's just, like, not a sustainable option to just keep killing everybody. Like, at some point, you're going to run out of people to kill or people are going to catch on. Yeah. Is that Are there, like, other w- methods that we employ? Besides killing people? Yeah. Well... Like, that just can't be the government's, all, like, first option always. Or is it only the, la- like, worst-case scenario? Like, a last resort? It's one option of many, I guess, right? I mean, um... You can prosecute whistleblowers for sure. Yeah. Government's done that. People don't seem to object too much. You can, um, you can imprison people, including American citizens without charge, trial, or conviction, mm-hmm. um, forever. We've done that. And, uh, and so these are the sorts of things that have become normalized since 9-11. In fact, I remember reading, this is all the way back in 2001, maybe November 2001, so not that long after 9-11, the CIA took a bow for a predator drone strike in Yemen that killed uh, a carload of suspected terrorists. The government never calls them suspected terrorists. They're always terrorists. One of whom was an American citizen. And there was no outcry at all. No outcry that the U.S. government had functionally just executed an American citizen without charge trial. No jury, no conviction, just right. executed him. And I thought, wow, the, the game has really changed. Uh, it wasn't long after that that the government arrested Jose Padilla. Do you remember him? I do not. So-called dirty bomber. They said, this guy's trying to build a radiological bomb and blow it up in Chicago. Really bad guy. They took him. They put him on a Navy ship. They offshored him, never gave him access to a lawyer. No due process. So that's the America we're living in right now. It's It's strange to consider these things. And um, people younger than I am, people who have come to political consciousness post 9-11, they don't know that there was anything different before. They're used to this stuff. They're used to the notion, for example, of secret laws. I mean, in America, we have secret laws. The government is passing laws, interpretations of laws, and we, the citizens, are not allowed to know what those things are. Senator Ron Wyden of the Intelligence, the Select uh, Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, was talking about this before Snowden, and he said there are two Patriot Acts. There's the one you're allowed to see, and then there's the Patriot Act as it's been interpreted by the government. You're not allowed to see that interpretation, and if you could, your hair would stand up. Now, Wyden should have actually read that secret interpretation into Senate testimony. He would have been able to do that um, pursuant to the speech and debate clause uh, of the Constitution. He would never have been prosecuted. He waited for someone who had to actually take a risk doing it. That was Snowden. But that's what he was talking about. All these things, secret laws in America. It's crazy. But I'm trying to like weigh the... Obviously, those things, um, some of that has to happen for us to function. But like, I don't know. You don't think so at all? <laughs> Why do we need secret laws? Um, I well, Maybe not secret laws, but I think of it in the sense of 
the government will always do things that we're not aware of, like for like protection or security. Like, I um, and I, 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 I for me, I don't need to know like every little thing that goes on. Sure. Um, and of course they're going to have like secret protocol, like to keep, I mean, <laughs> to like us safe, you know, security measures. I don't know how, when that turns, that's when it becomes too much. Yeah. Well, the reason you don't know that is because the government keeps all of it secret pursuant to a variety of measures, including something called the state secrets doctrine, which is, for example, if you feel that your constitutional rights have been violated by, let's say, illegal unconstitutional surveillance, yeah. and you try to take the government to court, what the government will say is, we can't litigate this. This is a state secret. And you'll be stopped outside the courthouse. That's it. You will not get your day in court. And so you'll never have an opportunity to show that this program of surveillance um, that was violating your rights is, in fact, illegal and unconstitutional. This is another thing I, I recommend to people along with COINTELPRO. Google it if you're curious about the, these sorts of things. Just Google state secrets doctrine. So it's, I, a little, it's crazy. There are secret yeah. laws. And and we have no way of examining them. So what does that mean if you know anything about human nature? What's what's going on behind those yeah. closed doors with no accountability? Yeah. I mean I I did Google Go and Tell Pro after I finished the book and it was just like a black hole of like this is so much. Yeah. I could have like heparitic forever. Yeah. Well that brings me to a point too that obviously this is something you've written about before and blogged about and are obviously interested in. Um on top of all that, it amazed me at how extensive your research was. And it's just like the resources were endless. Yeah. And, and, and I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're just appended at the end. So for people who, if you just want to read a good story, then the God's eye view hopefully delivers. Yeah. But if you're curious about how much of it is real, I want to make that easy for you because, yeah, I'm a novelist by day and an activist by night. So, um, so I, to the extent that my novels go beyond just entertainment and wind up uh, educating as well, yeah. that makes me happy. I want to make that easy for people. Totally. I'm um, going back to Obama. Uh, the book is set in the modern day, and we, it talks about Snowden and other things that have been going yeah. on, and there are scenes with the president. Yeah. Um, but you call him the president. Why did you never name him? <laughs> That's a good question, because I, I usually am a little bit uh, bolder than most thriller writers I know about naming actual figures. Yeah. For someone as prominent as the president, as prominent and polarizing, it doesn't matter who the president is, right? You know, yeah. Half people are going to hate him or her yeah. and the other half not. So um, for that kind of figure, I decided it's it would just pull readers out of the story, one, and absolutely date the book in another, oh. right? So if I'd made Obama the president, then January 17th, I think is the day, 2017, yeah. Suddenly people will be like, oh, this is an old book. This doesn't apply anymore. Oh, we probably so. have massive, as you said, like opinions about the name Obama versus the president. Exactly. In the book reading. So, uh, yeah, that was okay. one of those times. And the other thing was, I mean, the, the president in this book um, certainly had a lot in common with Obama, but a fair amount in common would say Richard Nixon, too, and a bunch of other presidents. Yeah. So it just it would have it would have taken people out of the character away from the character if I'd named uh, if I'd named the president as someone who everyone already knows about, already has an opinion about. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, there's a high death count in the book. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're like used to that for good or bad reasons. But 
partway through the beginning of the book, we find out that one of the characters, Manus, had been abused and sexually abused and become an abuser. And it was hard to read. Well, Manus didn't... Sorry. It's cause no, I, please. I, I love Manus, so I feel like I have to rise <laughs> to his defense. Um, he's a contract killer. So yeah. before the law, a murderer. But I wouldn't call him an abuser. Uh, just oh, in the sense that... I was thinking that, in the sense when he was growing up. Um, like as a teenager and like Judy. Yeah, even there, I mean, he really? became super adept with violence. But Manus, to me, is the kind of guy who mostly just wants to be left alone. And most people, having good innate uh, survival instincts, would take one look at Manus. And unless you had some experience with violence yourself, you wouldn't know exactly why, but you would just know that this is not a guy who I want to mess with. Right. Happy to let him just go on his way, and hopefully he'll let me go on, on mine. That's Manus. He didn't really want okay. trouble. But trouble kept coming to him because of the the situations he was put in. And so he became pretty expert in uh, in dealing with trouble. Okay. That's how, that's how I look at him. But you know what? I could be wrong. Uh, maybe I was just like grossly generalizing it. That's fair. <laughs> you know, the other thing is but, too, sometimes people say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And, and what I say is, look, that, that's just my take. It, yeah. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not the authority. I'm really not. No, and I wouldn't think you're trying to tell me like what I needed to get from it. But I'm reading about that. It it happened fairly early on in the book. We yeah. found that out. It changed the entire tone of the book for me. Just it, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it told me that well, this is going in like a darker place than I previously expected. Yeah, yeah. He had some. He had a pretty dark childhood. Yeah. And the way I see Manus now is someone who he would have been okay. I mean, if he'd been born in or grown up in normal circumstances, he yeah. probably would have been just a pretty normal guy. I don't know. Maybe he would have become law enforcement, maybe military. Maybe he would have been just a general contractor, which is the, the legend he lives. Um, as, as His actual contracting is uh, very different. He does it for the NSA. Right. But because um, of the horrific abuse he suffered as a kid, his humanity, as I see it, has been almost cauterized. And um, I got a nice compliment the other day from an author, a novelist I really admire, a guy named Andrew Vax, who um, posted about the book on Facebook. And he said, Barry, you really nailed the, what was it called? He said, he said the uh, attachment disorder syndrome and someone exploiting it. And I didn't know what that was. So I looked it up and uh, what it refers to is if a child has um, has been abused, has yeah. not received like the kind of unconditional love we, we tend to think children should receive and yeah. deserve, um, that person may grow up in, into an adult who spends his or her whole life trying to find that unconditional love that wasn't there yeah. um, when they were younger. And that can be a problem in a variety of ways. One of them is you've got some people out there who have an instinct for exploiting that kind of need. And so with Manus... I mean, nobody valued this guy. Um, he had to learn skills just to stay alive in prison before the director rescued him. And and the director was very skilled to pick him. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. So the director is one of these people who consciously or unconsciously recognizes that someone like Manus has a psychological, emotional need, wants like a father figure, someone who he can believe in, someone who uh, has been good to him where the entire world has been bad. Yeah. And Manus then cathects to the director and doesn't really care that much about what the director wants. Like all he cares about is protecting the director. That's what he is. Another character in the book describes him as like a rescued dog who just, he's just going to protect the director exactly. and Manus can be pretty ferocious yeah. in his and protection. On, and on top of that, the director is incredibly skilled in persuasion and influence. Yeah. He's a smart guy. Yeah. He's insidious. using like the, what? He's smart, but insidious. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But he was like using like the fundamentals of NLP. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is that something that you've studied yourself? 
Well, they teach it at the CIA, or at least they did when I was there. So I don't know how much there is to it. I don't know if I could use it myself, but there are a lot of people who swear by it. Really? So, um, yeah, so I thought the director would, would look for those sorts of things. You oh, know, right. the eyes going left, the eyes going right. Is it recall or imagination? You know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Because you were in the CIA, uh, even though this is fiction, does everyone just assume automatically it's all real? That's a good question. I get some weird questions when, uh, when, when my background comes up. Probably top of the list is, have you ever killed anyone? Number two would be who <laughs> killed Kennedy. It's always about killing, right? You know, so, um, yeah, I actually hope that my background gives, uh, gives a little bit more, uh, weight to the story. I want, as I, the reason I have the bibliography in here, as I said, is that I want people to understand that all this is true. And, you know, it may be that you come away from the book feeling, hey, I'm glad that the government has the ability to um, to know where every person goes in the world and who they visit and what they say online and the sites they visit. Um, and if and if they want to crack their texting history and they've got all their metadata, which means who they've called and uh, who yeah. calls them. Like if the government wants to know about all those things with regard to every single American citizen, I want the government to be able to do that. I wouldn't agree with that view, but, uh, but okay, I would, at least I, I would respect it. I can engage it. Um, but the way I fall on this is, well, the way Snowden himself seems to fall. He said, look, of course I have my opinions about these programs, but that's not what matters. What matters is that we as uh, a democratic society can make these decisions, uh, in an informed fashion. Yeah. We have to know about these things, that they exist, what they are, what is their nature, so that if we think they're good, we can vote for them, or if we think we're bad, we can vote against them. But what we can't have is the deployment of an absolutely unprecedented bulk surveillance apparatus without even knowing its dimensions, let alone being able to vote on it. That is completely anti. That outcome is completely antithetical to uh, to democracy. So yeah, I mean, I have my opinions too, but at a minimum, I just want Americans to know about this. And then once we know about it, hey man, if you like it, all right, I guess we're stuck with it. Yeah, I, I promise we won't spend the whole interview on Snowden. But why would a contractor have such incredible privileges and like access? I don't know specifically with regard to the NSA. It's a good question. I know he was a systems administrator. It's called sysadmin. Yeah, and uh, those are the people who are like the. Um, IT architects, the IT infrastructure guys. So they have access of necessity to a lot of things that even like ordinary people don't. You can almost think of them, um, as I see it anyway, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong and I'm sure some people will correct me if I am, but I think I'm almost as a mechanic. I mean, he really knows how the car works. He can get in under the hood and he needs to if anything's going wrong. Right? Yeah. He's designing a lot of this stuff. But just to drive the car, you don't need all that access. You don't need all that information. So he was one of the guys who really needed, who had all the knowledge and therefore needed the access. Wow. Oh, Not God. to mention, by the way, there are more contractors in America than even the Secretary of Defense knows. Remember when Robert Gates was Secretary of Defense and someone asked him, he said, I don't know. He, don't, he doesn't know. We've got 1.5 million people in America who have top secret clearances. Most of them are contractors. Nobody really knows. Uh, like, that's a problem. That's not a good thing. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to depress anyone. No, I, I just, I, it's... It is, it's actually a really fun book. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It's just, it's such a massive um, issue that I, like, what would be the, in a, a per, uh, not a perfect world, in a, like, a realistic world, what yeah. would be, like, a plausible step that you could see happening. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of things that could be done and, in my opinion, should be done. 
probably the most relevant, the most likely. Yeah. It's good. The most likely and the, the one that will have the most impact will be this. Um, ubiquitous deployment of encryption technology because this goes back to, to something we were talking about a little earlier in the conversation. Why is Obama killing more people with drones? Why is Obama prosecuting more whistleblowers than anyone who came before him? Is it because he's a particularly bad guy? Again, maybe we could debate that, but come on, probably it's because he just has tools that his predecessors didn't have. The government now has tools that never existed before. I mean, the East German Stasi did the best it could, and it did a lot, but it had index cards, right? Mm -hmm. um, we now have what the NSA calls, the, the NSA itself says, um, um, we're living in the golden age of SIGINT, signals intelligence. It's just the nature of the world and the internet itself yeah. that is such a, a surveillance bonanza for, uh, for centers of power. How do you stop that? Well, you can't change human nature. If people can surveil you, they want to surveil you. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is go back to a time, to back to a place, a condition where the government is not able to spy on everyone at will. And the only thing I know of that could really uh, ensure that is, as Snowden himself says, uh, strong encryption, properly, uh, properly deployed. Wow. Properly implemented. Yeah. So that would be the biggest thing. Okay. And, and we seem to be making progress in that regard. I mean, if you look at Apple's current uh, stand against the FBI, yeah. right? I mean, it's encouraging. On the one hand, it's pretty discouraging to think that um, we don't really have a political party, at least not a major political party. We can applaud for its efforts in standing up to the FBI's uh, attempts to yeah. create surveillance backdoors. We have to instead um, cheer on the richest corporation in the world, which is... You know, I, as you can tell, I, I tend not to trust really powerful entities. Um, they so need she, more accountability. Yeah, businesses out to make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I would really prefer a better champion than uh, Apple. Yeah. But, uh, but as it happens for the moment, Apple's the champion we have. And if it hadn't been for Snowden, politically, I don't think no, – politically, it's not the right word. It's more like with regard to what will please its customers. Yeah. To your point that, look, it's a for-profit corporation. Tim Cook and Apple probably would have said, like, well, you know, our customers aren't asking for encryption. They don't really know. We can just cooperate with the government. Snowden has changed the terms of debate, has changed popular understanding in such a way that corporations now feel pressured to stand up to these sorts of government demands. Yeah. I mean, and also just, like, on a, like, large scale, pre-Snowden, I knew what NSA was, but I didn't right. have feelings towards it. Right. It didn't mean anything to me. Right, right. Yeah, he, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. He kind of branded yeah. NSA. Yeah. yeah. Also, NSA, not the NSA, which I learned in the book. Yeah. The insiders, <laughs> insiders talk about CIA and NSA. And, uh, yeah. And the rest of us talk about the CIA and the NSA. <laughs> now yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while we're talking about pop culture, do you watch Scandal? Uh, I I watched the pilot because for a while I was giving myself a kind of crash course on okay. television pilots and I, I really, uh, I really liked it. Chandra Rons is awesome. But, okay. But I was going to ask a specific question about something on the show, but I'll broaden it to all of TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, how right does TV get it? Like I, I imagine like yeah. people are like tracking facial recognitions and turning like bank cameras on the corner yeah. and how right are they getting it? Well, it's a pretty broad question, right? So, um, give me like uh, a one to 10. 10 being the best. I can't just because the range <laughs> is going to be huge, right? I mean, like, if you think about a show like The Sopranos, yeah. I remember reading interviews with, like, a lot of mafiosa loved that show because they felt like, hey, you know, this is us. This is our crowd. So I think David Chase was, he was doing a really good job. Yeah. I know they had good advisors. That show, as I understand it, was really accurate. 
um, a show like Person of Interest. I don't know. It's probably pretty accurate. I'm friendly with a guy named Tony Camarino, um, who's who's an advisor and I think a writer now for the show. And Tony's a serious guy, so probably Person of Interest is a little depressing when you consider um, you know the range of surveillance available on that show. But they're know. probably getting it right. Uh, and then things happen like three men escape from like a high security prison in right. Long Beach, I believe. No. Uh, around here like, like a couple hours ago. away um no it was in last like three or four weeks okay and um they were out and about for like a good week yeah. and one turned himself in the other two were only found because someone in like a whole foods parking lot recognized their van wow yeah so like for them to be able to be out and about for seven whole days i was like that's amazing yeah it's impressive yeah it almost so gives just... you a weird kind of hope right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Also, though, I'm like, what are you doing in Whole Foods? Uh, <laughs> probably, probably the no. prison challenges didn't stand up. <laughs> right. Um, I also read that you are working on another standalone novel. Yeah. Is that coming another like John Rain series or is that going to be next? Um, I was working on the next John Rain book. Yeah. And I was really into it. Um, and my wife, Laura, and I actually driving down to L.A. this summer just started spitballing about a new character. It started off where just, just joking around almost. And, uh, we had some really great ideas and I don't know, this is like a five hour drive from the Bay area. By the time we got down here, I was so fired up about this new character that I actually put John rain. I apologize to rain fans. Cause I love this new rain book too, but I promise you, you're going to be glad I did. When you read about Livia, who's the subject of the next book, the protagonist of the next book, you'll still miss rain, but, but you'll be glad that Ram was on deck. Okay. So the the new book is about a Seattle. I should I should have my elevator pitched down at this point, but you know it's not even done yet. Um, it's about a Seattle sex crimes detective who was trafficked to America from Thailand as a child, um, and who is uh, searching for the men who uh, who trafficked her and her sister, raped them, abused them, uh, while at the same time trying to conceal her um, her extracurricular activities from Seattle PD and those activities include not just uh, prosecuting rapists but um, but actually killing them wow it's an awesome book cool we'll look out for that is that going to be this year we can look yeah, forward to it'll it it'll be out in October so, ah. uh, so you are pretty much one of my last interviews and after this I got to go to the mattresses and, uh, and finish this bad boy alright yeah. well this was so much fun thank you thank you Jeff yeah where can Pleasure. we find you online uh, is it your preferred website or like Twitter uh, what you can find me on Twitter at uh, just Barry Eisler, at Barry Eisler. My website is barryeisler.com. Awesome. Makes it easier for everyone. There's a lot of content on your website. Yeah, yeah, there is a fair amount. And my blog is on the website, too, for anyone who wants to go a little deeper on yeah. some of these political it's issues. It's great, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Of course. Uh, guys, we'll see you next week. Till then, you can find all of our content and more on YouTube, iTunes, and, of course, bookcircleonline.com. Goodbye. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.